It's time to have our most mature conversation to date on the show, and it's all because of a kid's movie. I'm Gurvir Bra, I'm here with Chamal Karsandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into Disney and Pixar's Soul. We're here with our review, in-depth analysis, and our hottest takes. Folks, let's get jazzed. I'm Joe Gardner. I teach middle school band. I finally land the gig of my life, and then... Is this heaven? <laughs> no. Is it H-E double hockey sticks? Help, help, help. Hi, Coyote. Can you help me get back to my body? Why? Earth sounds dumb. You're missing out on the joys of life. Nah. Come on. Wait, not me! Soul, rated PG, streaming December 25th. All right, gentlemen, let's, uh, let's ease into the episode with a simple question. What happens when we die? That's a very good question. I'm looking <laughs> forward to finding out what that is. Um, and this movie definitely explores many possibilities of what happens you know, after you croak. What an interesting, I guess, you know, um, idea to play with. It's a kid's movie, but right? it's about death. It's pretty morbid in that respect, right? And it's crazy that this isn't the first time they've done it. Right. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, just before we do, I'm going to hop in with the tale of the tape. Obviously, we're covering Soul, written by Peter Doctor, Kent Powers, and Mike Jones, who, Mike Jones, directed by Peter Doctor and Kent Powers, with an all-star cast, Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton, Donnell Rollins, Questlove, Angela Bassett, Felicia Rashad, David Diggs, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, just before we go in, I'm also going to provide a little bit of context of what's going on with these directors and actors going into this movie. We got Jamie Foxx, who won his Oscar for another movie about appearances with Ray. He's a successful musician in his own right. He's had a Billboard number one hit with Slow Jams with Kanye and Twista. Uh, his only other animated movies were Rio and Rio 2. And also a fun fact, Jamie Foxx majored as a classical pianist. And also we have Tina Fey, Golden Globe winner for 30 Rock, the first female head writer for SNL. Animation-wise, she's been in Megamind and the English version of Ponyo. And Peter Docter directed Inside Out, Up, and Monsters, Inc. And this is Kent Powers' first directing credit. So, Jamath, can you hit us with that recap? Got you. So, Joe is a middle school band teacher whose life hasn't quite gone the way he expected. His true passion is jazz, and he's good. But when he travels to another realm to help someone find their passion, he soon discovers what it means to have soul. Joe Gardner is a middle school teacher with a love for jazz music. After a successful gig at the Half Note Club, he suddenly gets into an accident that separates his soul from his body and is transported to the U Seminar, a center in which souls develop and gain passions before being transported to a newborn child. Joe must enlist help from other souls in training, like 22, a soul who has spent eons in the U Seminar in order to get back to Earth. What an interesting movie. What an interesting concept. What did you think of the movie? I loved it. Just right off the bat, I feel like we're, you know, as we were approaching the end of 2020, heading into 2021, this was the big Christmas drop from Disney+. And I feel like everybody right now needs and wants a feel-good movie experience. Yeah. And that's what this film gave me more than anything else. Like, uh, I enjoyed the, the the experience of watching a Pixar movie, my first Pixar movie, which we'll get to in a while, that I've seen in absolute years. Wow. 
and I, I, and I honestly, if we weren't scheduled to review this, I maybe would have even skipped past it. Wow. But I saw <laughs> the rave reviews it was getting, especially in comparison to Wonder Woman. And I have to say, it's been arguably one of my top five best Pixar movies that I've seen personally. I, I really enjoyed this one. It's kind of crazy that it kind of got interwoven with the whole Wonder Woman release. Because regardless of what you heard about Wonder Woman, you kind of heard also, hey, by the way, there's this movie called Soul. And like it kind of flew into the radar for a while, and it would have been this huge movie in the box office for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I love this movie too. Pixar is amazing because it tries to get you to feel something, and it feels like this is the kind of movie that Pixar has been working towards for the past 25 years since they released Toy Story. Uh, they've always tried to tell stories that have deeper concepts and meanings, and the concept of the great before is a genius workaround to answering questions about death without offending anybody. Yep. I thought this movie was like a movie for creatives, by creatives. It was about, you know, passions, obsessions, and telling different sides of like that whole creative outlet. What are some ideas that you really kind of like from this movie? I think the big one, or the kind of the question that kind of came into my mind as I was watching it is, am I spending too much time working and in the grind versus enjoying life and the things that life offers? The crazy thing for me is like someone like you, I know you're the biggest hustler I know, right? Yeah. Like you're somebody who is constantly working on new projects and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to hear I was interested to hear like your thought process behind this movie. Because it talks about, you know, the idea of balance, the idea of mindfulness, the idea that there's more to life. There's you know, it's really deep for a kid's movie. Yeah. Right? Like uh, I wanted to hear your, your thoughts on those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean like when I mean, you think about the messages that this movie is trying to get across, I made a, a whole list of notes on this. Do what you have to do until you can do what you love to do. Life is short, embrace every moment. Don't underestimate the significance and impact you can have on other people's lives. Yeah. And this movie spoke to me in so many ways because I was a part of the system, so to speak. I did come from a, I have come from a background where I didn't have much growing up. Dad passes away when I'm 11 years old. Mum has to raise two kids, doesn't speak a lick of English, raised in the UK. I, puts me through school, puts us both through school, and then I'm all of a sudden bang. I am now working in London, working my way up the corporate ladder, but I'm not doing anything uh, with regards to what I enjoy or have a passion for. And I kind of, as I kind of go through my 20s, I slowly start to shift the balance of both of those worlds where I'm earning lots of money, I'm supporting my family, but I'm starting to now, you know, work in areas that I have. You know, an interest in and a passion for. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 2021 and I have said goodbye completely to my old life and everything that I do right now today, including this podcast with you, is something that I have an interest in, I am passionate about and that's what life hopefully is all about for everybody out there. Yeah. And the funny thing, and this is crazy what a coincidence this is, one of my old sales directors that I used to work with uh, at an old company that I haven't uh, worked for in a number of years hit me up out of the blue yeah. literally like a couple of days ago asking me if I was interested in coming back doing a bit of freelance work commission based only da 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 da, -da all wow. the rest of it and it felt so good to say hey Dan I appreciate the offer I'm not interested I'm doing very well for myself and I don't even have time to dedicate to an opportunity like this and it's just you know I felt pretty good about that, but again, that's not the situation for everybody. It's not yeah. easy out there trying to do something that you're passionate about and turning that into your income and your life's work and all the rest of it. But going back to one of your other points, though, talking about, about grind and hustling and all that kind of stuff, 
I have tried to make a conscious effort, especially over the last year, to make sure that I have a, you know, certain days of the week or moments of the day where I breathe and I pause mm-hmm. and I take a deep breath because sometimes you can get you know stuck in that hustle and grind and all of a sudden a year goes by. Yeah, I love to hear both of those. I love to hear the story of like you know coming out from something where you weren't enjoying what you were doing and now you you are. And then on the other side, also finding that balance of that work-life balance. And the idea that this is a kids' movie blows my mind. It's at the same time. It's kind of amazing that kids get a chance to grow up with a movie like this, especially where they're constantly now comparing themselves to other people. And it's important that, like, you know, we have like influencer culture and all this kind of stuff. And I think it's important that we have a movie that shows that your mental well-being comes from a different place than accomplishment. And what's interesting is I don't have any kids. I've got nieces and nephews, but I actually spoke to two people over the last couple of days. One is a colleague of mine based in the UK. And the other person is my barber here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Both have kids, and I spoke to them about the movie Soul, yeah. and they both gave me interesting answers with regards to how they dealt with this movie in regards to their kids. Now, the barber had no problems showing the movie and watching the movie with his kids, but his kids are seven and nine, right? Mm-hmm. But he did say to me, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, wow, this is fairly morbid. I mean,、mm-hmm. the movie is. Going deep with regards to the meaning of life, and but also dying. Yeah. And on the flip side, a colleague of mine in the UK said that once him and his wife had read the plot of the movie, they decided to watch it first before deciding upon whether they wanted to let their daughter watch it. And their daughter is, I think, five or six. So it's very interesting how parents would deal with a movie that deals with something like death. Right. It's like it's like also we were, I was going to ask you like the kind of questions that we're going to be. Kind of coming out with from this movie, and even in an interview, Tina Fey says she loves being part of Pixar because they aren't afraid of asking those big questions.、Mm. Obviously, this is、uh, talking about a life well lived and separating that from achievement instead of like kind of chasing that external validation. And like the big questions I start thinking about from this movie is:、uh, Are you enjoying being in the moment? Are you enjoying the process? Are you passionate? And is passion enough? Right. All those kinds of questions are stuff that's not only incredibly deep. But incredibly deep for a kids movie, right?、Uh, did you have any kind of things that you kind of pulled as far as questions that you started thinking about after the fact in this movie? I guess what we just talked about, right,、yeah. is like when I see a movie like this, I ask myself, am I doing too much? Am I am I hit the pause button enough? Am I taking a deep breath of the winter air as I'm shoveling the snow in the morning? Right, life is short, you know,、mm-hmm. and life goes by very very quickly. And if if anything else, the last twelve months, us dealing with this pandemic, has I guess allowed everyone to kind of ask a lot of questions about themselves and what they're doing with their lives. Yeah.、Um, now more so than ever, because everyone I think at some point of the last twelve months or so has had to hit the pause button. Yeah. Whether it's career, life, travel, seeing friends and family, you've got more time on your hands. You know, to stay at home and think and ponder about your life.、Yeah. So I think that's kind of my big takeaway is, and and it's I think it's a good thing. I think every once in a while, it's good that something hits you, whether it's a song, a movie, a TV show, a conversation with a friend or family member that makes you think. Hey, let me hit the pause button. Am I enjoying life? Am I working too much? Am I working too hard? Am I spending enough time with my loved ones? I think it's always good to kind of be hit with those questions so you can be re- re- reflective as as much as you can. Yeah.、Um, one thing this actually makes me think of is、uh, I was watching an interview with Peter Docter, the director of the movie, and he said that he had the success of Inside Out, and then now he thought, 
all right, well, uh, now what? Because he said he didn't feel that whole feeling or that accomplished feeling that he was kind of expecting, kind of like what Joe had after he had that final performance in the movie. So he started to explore what is it to live, right? And like the first steps is they didn't want to piss off any religions. They didn't want to make a movie about what's happening after life. So they decided what happens before life. It's easy to get turned around. This isn't the great beyond. It's the great before. The great before? Oh, we call it the U Seminar now. Rebranding. That kind of leads me to my next question. How and why do you think this movie kind of resonates with audiences? Well, number one, I think it's a Pixar movie. <laughs> All right, let's not, let's not beat about the bush here. Yeah. Uh, Pixar makes fantastic CGI animation movies specifically for kids. They are just great storytellers. You know what? Even just talking about the visuals for one yeah. second, I think this movie is such a departure for the visuals as well because it's across two different worlds, right? They got New York, which is like this sharp, an angular kind of uh, design style. And then you got The Great Before, which is like this really round and bouncy kind of place that's really ethereal. Yep. And I, I don't know, it's, it's great that they're designed, like we talk about Pixar's design culture, but this is just such a grounded approach to it and also the psychedelic approach at the same time. It, it, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, visually, it's absolutely stunning. I think especially a small thing like lighting. Mm -hmm. Like the lighting in this movie is phenomenal. It How really do you is. nail that in like a CGI movie? Yeah. And it just shows, you know, you know, 1995 they released Toy Story. Fast forward to, you know, 2021 and they've just gone leaps and bounds with regards to the, you know, their ability technically. The people that work behind the scenes, they are just upping their game constantly all the time. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I feel like, like I said, I think why it resonates with audiences, you know, it, it is still a kid's movie. It's a Pixar movie. They don't release movies all the time. They usually, their batting average is about, is about one a year. Yeah. So you get that one Pixar experience per year, right? Mm -hmm. If that. If that. And again, I think when you think about what's happening in the world right now, everyone trying to you know, have a deeper meaning with what they're trying to do, especially as we kind of hopefully sooner rather than later come out on the backside of this pandemic, people will start to think, okay, now we're through the worst of it. What do I want to do with my life? Yeah. And I think that's a question. Um, and I think eventually Joe gets the answer to this because he gets a second chance at life. Yeah. And when he gets a second chance, you can just, you know, it almost stops um, at him leaving, you know, the, the, the front door of the house taking a deep breath of the New York air and it's like, right, now I'm ready to really enjoy life and take it day by day and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, th I feel like everyone in the world is going through something along the lines of, of that where it's going to hit home to them like that. Yeah, I also even just going to the characters, I feel like, like you said, the characters are so relatable. I, don't, I think these might be the most relatable characters in like a Disney movie I've seen in a, maybe like ever, but it's insane to think about because of how like deep their character roster is and like basically like they took Jamie Foxx which is like this super charismatic actor and they toned him down so that he's more grounded and somebody we can really relate to and 22 is basically like this teenager who knows everything and knows better than you right and Tina Fey even said in her book one time that she actually made friends because she was really good at mocking other people and I feel like I can relate to that a lot because that's basically my personality and uh, I feel like this is just perfect casting. Yeah, I agree with you. The other thing I actually want to make a note of right now, and I think this is important, is there is a lack of content out there mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. The big releases for December in terms of brand new movies 
new you know n- new content to enjoy over the Christmas period was you had HBO Max with Wonder Woman 1984 yep. and you had Soul from Disney Plus and so you have to think you know had we got a full-fledged you know normal theatrical release over the Christmas period which is one of the busiest periods of the year does this movie get a chance to breathe like it has so far like even Today, it's like I'm seeing people recommend it on social media. Yeah. So it's getting word of mouth and, and you know, spreading like that. Um, but I feel like, you know, the Disney Plus versus HBO Max war, so to speak, that um, kind of, I guess, started in December, Disney Plus has won this, hands yeah, down. Yeah, they've really taken that early lead tremendously. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, like, I, I don't know if we were ever going to talk about this, but I'm already starting to think maybe this is going to be, like, one of those movies that really resonates in that best picture category for mm. the Oscars. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if this is something that really does kind of win. I would love to see this. I would love to see the Academy in general just kind of change the uh, the criteria for what you know qualifies as best picture. And I feel like they've been doing that for a while now. Yeah. They expanded the number of movies from 5 to 10 a few years ago. And again, just the lack of options this year. If this doesn't make it into the top 10 of best pictures for the year, I would be surprised. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I... I feel like this is almost guaranteed a yeah. nomination at the very least. Yeah. But we'll see. Like I can I can totally imagine seeing it win. Yeah. Um, all right. So what kind of messages do you think like obviously we had that kind of conversation already, but anything else like in terms of messages that you think they tried to get across that we haven't discussed so far already? I don't think so. I think um, everything that we've kind of noted so far and discussed, you know, for me, the the start of the film is what resonated most with me um, because that's exactly the journey I've personally been on in my life. Mm-hmm. I think also like even like like you were saying, like you mentioned that he's a teacher, and I think that's one of the underlying messages of the movie because teachers are so underappreciated in our oh, society, really, right? For and sure. I love the fact that this movie kind of acknowledges that we undervalue being, like, like we value so much of being accomplished that we don't even acknowledge the people that are helping you get to that level. Right. Right, and we're, like, we kind of, as a society, have really neglected teachers and neglected giving them that shine, and that should be something that should be almost propped up to a higher level as well. I think everybody always has that one teacher that one specific teacher that had an impact on their life at some point whether it was at school college university and for some me some sort of mentor yeah. some sort of mentor for me it was my high school drama teacher yeah. his name was Steve Hammond and of all the teachers I had through you know from like I don't know 11 to 21 22 all the way until I finished university he is still to this day the one teacher that I think about all the time as someone that had a real meaningful impact on me you know I enjoyed being in his classes I enjoyed listening to him Um, he parted some great wisdom that helped shape me and turn me from a boy to a man at a certain stage of my life hang on hang on what are y'all laughing at so Connie got a little lost in it that's a good thing one thing I wanted to talk about is the legacy of Jamie Foxx I feel like he's kind of polarizing like he's in so many of my favorite movies he's baby driver he's been in Django but sometimes it doesn't feel like he has that huge profile like other actors. He's almost like, sometimes I perceive him almost more of a celebrity sometimes than an actor. Does that make sense? I hear what you're saying. I personally think, and this is my opinion here, I think he's very close to GOAT level. Yeah. And some may even consider that he's already there because he's won an Oscar. He's showed his range as an overall entertainer, as a musician, as a singer, as an actor, as a stand-up comedian. Yeah. I personally think if he nails this Mike Tyson biopic, which has been his passion project for years, then I, then I think it's a wrap. I mean, what, 
What hasn't Jamie Foxx attempted to do in his life that he hasn't excelled at at the highest level? You know what the crazy thing is? Those There's actually two things that he's about to do that I think could push him over that next level. Like you said, the biopic of Mike Tyson, but he's also going to be Spawn. Right? Oh my god, I so forgot about that. He yes. finally gets his superhero movie. Right. And that's going to be rated R. That like, I feel like that's going to be taken very seriously. And I can't wait to see that as well. Wow, I forgot about that. That's, right? that's a great call. But yeah, I mean, like, talk about someone that can do it all. Yeah. But do it at the highest level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, one thing, you mentioned he started off as a stand-up comedian. And one thing I just want to quickly mention is he has one of the most notorious moments in roast history, maybe in comedy history, where it was the roast of Emmett Smith. Have you heard of this before? I don't think I have. Okay, it's one of the most amazing videos I've ever seen. Go on YouTube and watch it. Basically, like, a, a roast host generally just sits there quietly while people do their set, right? Basically, he's ad-libbing the entire show. Somebody's doing their jokes, he's throwing a little caption on top of that. And then this relatively unknown comedian named Doug Williams comes up, and Jamie Foxx basically ends his entire career before it started. <laughs> no way. It's amazing. Go out of your way to watch it. It's worth seeing a car crash if you haven't seen it. We're here for Emmett Smith. Do you have any jokes hey. for him tonight? Got a toy, got everybody out of the way, and I did too. I want to say this to Emmett Smith, man. I'm your conscience. It is a pleasure. Having said that, let's talk about Tina Fey next. What's your opinion on Tina Fey? Okay, so I have to be honest. I'm actually less familiar mm -hmm. with Tina Fey. I'm aware that she's been a, a staple of Saturday Night Live. Yep. I think she's one of the people or actors that I'm less familiar with because I was raised in the UK and I just wasn't exposed to much of her work prior so yeah, for me, very not 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 much to kind of I guess uh, provide input towards. When That's it comes interesting to Tina Fey. because I I think Tina Fey is one of my favorite comedians of all time. Okay, right? Like Mean Girls is one of my favorite movies ever. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've, I've ever seen. Thirty Rock is my favorite sitcom of all time. Wow, uh, every, and, I have, and I haven't seen it by the way. Yeah, yeah, and, but like it's so good. It, it, like, every episode is so chock full of jokes. Like you can watch it over and over and over, and you'll find something new every single time. Uh, everything she's done with SNL, being the head writer, hosting, everything she does after the fact. I, I'm just such a f big fan of hers. I can't say enough about her. Even SNL, I've only become, become, you know, become exposed to it mm -hmm. since I moved to Toronto like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Again, growing up in the UK, we just didn't get SNL. We had our own version of what Saturday Night Sketch Show was or Saturday Night Sitcom or Saturday Night whatever, right? So since I've moved, I've watched a little bit more here and there, but I'm still not watching it like you know on a weekly basis or anything like that. So it's very interesting what people in North America are exposed to in terms of comedians, actors, and writers versus the UK scene. And in the UK scene, Graham Norton, absolute legend, I was gonna say, makes an appearance in this movie as yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. voices, right? So as, uh, Moon, what's his name? Moonshine? No, Mo oh, it's Moon. Moonwind. Moonwind. <laughs> Moon, Moonwind. <laughs> he makes his appearance as Moonwind. He's so good in this. I love him as a character. Any interesting stats, anecdotes that you've heard since you watched the movie? So there's one thing that really uh, jumped out to me when I did a little Google search. So the name tags of a few previous mentors of 22 that appear on her wall are, check this out, Michael Jackson, Prince, Martin Luther King Jr., Steve Jobs, Aretha Franklin, George O'Malley from Grey's Anatomy, and late Pixar director Joe Raft. It's not going to work anyway. I've had thousands of mentors who failed and now hate me. Mother Teresa. I have compassion for every soul. 
Except you, I don't like you. Copernicus. The world doesn't revolve around you, 22. Muhammad Ali. You are the greatest pain in the butt. Marie Antoinette. Nobody can help you. Nobody. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't know. Somehow I just ended up watching a bunch of videos and interviews and I kind of just compiled some stuff. I would love to just get your opinion on some of these. Hit me. All right. So the first one, this is Pixar's first black Pixar lead. Wow. When you come to think of it, you're absolutely right. And again, yeah. I haven't seen a bunch of movies, so I, that's not something that would have like immediately jumped to my mind. Mm -hmm. The Jerry's are supposed to be the universe itself, just dumbing itself down so humans can understand. They're not supposed to stylistically look like souls. They initially tried to create a fourth dimension figure, but basically ended up looking at something more like Picasso. Uh, what did you think of the Jerry's? Yeah, I loved it. I, and I feel like it was a, a nice and simple but effective way of kind of showing that other realm in between Earth and the afterlife. The first draft of the movie was basically going to be a heist movie where one of the characters tries to get an Earth pass and it's all set in the great before. They realized that was kind of too passive, so they took them down to Earth. Yeah, that would have fallen flat. I mean, this the way this movie is set up has so many more layers. I don't think it would have worked had they gone that route. Early versions of this movie had Joe as an actor or even a scientist. What do you think of that? Nah. I mean, here's the thing about him being a, a, mus a music teacher and so passionate about music in general. Typically, in most Pixar movies, you have three or four, sometimes even five songs yeah. that play out throughout the entire movie. The, you know, Soul doesn't have songs throughout the movie, but it has an incredible score. Yeah. And it has incredible piano themes throughout. And I think that was a great substitute. If he's an actor or a scientist, that falls flat as well. So yeah. I think it's perfect. I feel like the idea of jazz also kind of, like, as an art form, really mirrors the themes in the movie as well. Right, they right, provide right. The sensational aspect of it. Yeah. The Hall of Everything has a planet pizza truck from Toy Story. That truck has appeared in every single Pixar movie. I love that. I didn't know that. That's interesting. There were alternate endings. An interview with Dennett Geek. Pete Docter basically said, we storyboarded a bunch of stuff. One of them was in New York, where 22 was a student that later recognizes Joe. In another one, she actually ended up in India as a kid just living there. They decided to leave it up to the audience and their interpretation in the end, but how do you feel about those alternative endings? Again, I think they made the right choice. Uh, is it, what's interesting about getting these alternative options that they were potentially thinking about exploring is they ultimately made the right choice. Because watching the movie, I feel like it's perfect. The last thing I have is Dez, the barber, says not everyone can be Charles Drew inventing blood transfusions. And according to History.com, people went to barbers not just for a haircut or a shave, but also for bloodletting and other medical procedures. During the Middle Ages, bloodletting, which involves cutting open a vein and allowing blood to drain, was a common treatment for a wide range of maladies, from sore throat to the plague. Monks, who often cared for sick, performed the procedure, and barbers, given their skill with sharp instruments, often provided assistance. After Pope Alexander III in 1163 prohibited clergymen from carrying out the procedure, barbers added bloodletting, something physicians of the day considered necessary, but too menial to do themselves, to their repertoire. Known as barber surgeons, they also took on tasks such as pulling teeth, setting bones, and treating wounds. What? Isn't that crazy to hear about? That's insane. Oh my God, I can't believe that. The one thing I will say about this, this topic about barbershops yeah. is since moving to Toronto, my barber is Italian, mm -hmm. right? And he has a traditional kind of hairdresser salon setup. Growing up in the UK from the age of 14 until I left 
uh, from a few years ago. My barbershop was an Afro-Caribbean barbershop. Mm-hmm. And so I really got that experience. You know about the movie Barbershop? That has been my experience for the bulk of my life. Yeah. Um, and so to see that in this movie was kind of cool for me as well. Next, let's talk about the soundtrack. What role does music play in this? You kind of touched on it already, but any other additional thoughts? Oh, I really, really enjoyed this score. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross absolutely killed it. Even the last couple of years, they did it. They did. They produced a score for the Watchmen limited series, which is phenomenal. Just so so good. And they also previously collabed on Social Network as well. Um, so they did a fantastic job. I thought the piano theme uh, that plays throughout, but is very much emphasized towards the end of the movie, is fantastic. And what I mentioned earlier on, no songs really in this movie, but it's really about the score. It's about jazz. And most Pixar movies have multiple songs throughout the movies. It's not the case here. And yeah. I think it's it's not missed. I think this works. And if this is going to be a trend for perhaps more adult-themed movies coming out of Pixar, where they don't need to lay four or five songs in there, I'm more for that. The cool thing about this is, like, I feel like, like you, like you said, Disney is associated with having music in their movies. But this is, like, the first one where, well, maybe not the first one, but... They created like a soundscape and like this world you kind of live in mm. musically. Mm. And that is almost more fulfilling than just having a couple songs that you can kind of live in. Also, while Jamie Foxx was the body of Joe, John Baptiste, who's the head of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, did all the hand motions for the piano that Joe was playing. Nice. I thought that was a cool little fact too. Very cool. Um, were there any unanswered questions from the movie that you really didn't get a chance to have answered? No, I mean, again, I think it. all of the questions it asks itself uh, or presents, it essentially answers by the end of the movie in terms of what is the meaning of life, what happens when you die, even if it's not the, the right answer. We don't know what these answers are, yeah. but it presents you with their answers mm-hmm. and their version of the answers. Uh, but ultimately, it's about you know answering the question to yourself personally. Are you getting the most out of life? And that's a question it's posing that only you know the answer to. Yeah, for me, it was like initially... I felt like kind of ended abruptly because I'm almost at the end sitting like, all right, cool, so what happens in 22? What happens to Joe? Like, I want those answers. I'm so used to getting those answers. But this time we didn't get that. And the more I kind of sit with it, the abstract ending kind of leaves me with more than a definitive one would have. There he is. Hey, Curly. Leon skipping town really put us in a bind, man. I'll bet. Glad you made it. My boy Bishop said he uh, sat in with you on a set last year in Brooklyn. Said you were great. Well, you don't have a bar coffee shop. This isn't something we usually do, but something I thought would be a lot of fun is hitting us with our personal top five Pixar movies. Uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we go fi- uh, from five to one? We go one for one each. Before we do that, can, sure. I think this is a great time of this week's podcast just to kind of give you my experience with Pixar movies in general. Because sure. I feel like everyone, and maybe some people can relate to this. I, I grew up, you know, my first movie experience was around 1994, 1995. So Toy Story dropped in 1995. So I watched Toy Story. I watched A Bug's Life in 98. I watched Toy Story 2 in 99. I watched Monsters, Inc. in 2001. I watched Finding Nemo in 2003. I watched The Incredibles in 2004. I watched Cars in 2006. And then here comes the gap. Here are all the movies that I haven't seen. Ratatouille. Wall-E, Up, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, Monsters University, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3, Coco, Incredibles 2, Egregious, 
Toy Story 4, Onward, and I've come back with Soul. And the reason why, why I wanted to list this yeah. is everybody has genres they like, they don't like, or they tend to kind of veer away from for whatever reason. Sure. I think we've spoken about this um, off air, but... I'm happy to share it now. I'm not the biggest fan of horror movies, for example. Yeah, yeah. So unless I'm forced into a situation where I have to watch a horror movie, and on this show you will be, and I definitely <laughs> will be on this show for sure. Or if there's you know a movie or movies like what Jordan Peele presents, where yes, it's a horror movie, yes, it's suspense, but he's providing so much social commentary. That's what is the allure for me. Sure, I'm in. Now with Pixar movies and and. You know, I got on this great run early on, and then I remember watching Frozen, which isn't a Pixar movie, right? Oh my god, it isn't. That isn't a Pixar movie. It's just Disney, right? I don't even know if it's Disney. It probably is Disney. It is Disney, yeah. But it's probably, it's not from the Pixar studio. Oh, wow. But I remember watching that with a nephew of mine who really wanted to see it, so I took him to the theatre in the UK to watch it. For some reason or another, and maybe it's because I don't have kids, or maybe it's because I don't really go to the theatre with nephews and nieces, I just haven't watched these movies for one reason or another like i haven't gone out of my way they've been available to me and i know that they're big hits don't get me wrong and i know that they are suitable for for all ages and i know pixar movies are really good about giving you something for adults as well as as well as for kids yeah i I don't know what answer i can give you that makes sense here because obviously like you said it's egregious (laughs) like the the movie that i mentioned to my barber the other day was coco and he couldn't believe that i hadn't seen coco that's the one yeah that's the exact same reaction i had but at the end of the day listen Regardless, when we do these top five lists, I don't ever want it to be about like best picture or you should have like an idea of every single movie in history. Absolutely. It's just what's your favorite, right? And that's why I think it's a little bit more fun. Absolutely. The only thing, the only reason I want to mention that, I'm just very curious if there are other adults out there who have perhaps in our age bracket have gone through a similar experience. Like for example, for you, have you seen every single Pixar movie? Are there any gaps Not in your every single one? No, there are a few I haven't seen. I haven't seen like Brave. I haven't seen like... Uh... I haven't seen Cars 2, like stuff right. like that. But like, okay. uh, I feel like those ones are, they feel more missable right. for me, but I feel like there are a few movies you kind of have to see, but that's probably just personal opinion as well. Got you. Uh, so yeah, let's go into top five. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is Soul. Okay, nice. Mine was uh, Inside Out. Uh, for me at number four is Finding Nemo. Okay, my number four ended up actually being Soul. Okay. I thought, at first I was a little hesitant to be like, you know what, should I even include this? Is there a recency bias? But... It just feels like it right. It just feels right. Um, and number three, I've got Monsters, Inc. All right. And number three, I had WALL-E. The rest of my list, you have no idea about. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, and my number two is Toy Story 2. Okay. My number two is Toy Story 3, which is the best of the trilogy. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't count for but sorry, uh, what's your number one? My number one is the the original man, Toy Story. Like for me, not only is it still so rewatchable all these years later, mm-hmm. it's the movie that put Pixar on the map. It's the movie that really helped finance the company moving forward. So that was a big risk at the time. And I remember watching the theater. And it, for me, all these years later, it's still number one. Toy Story is like, it, it, it's a specific achievement in movie. Uh, yeah. Right? If it wasn't for Toy Story, there wouldn't be this huge avenue of like different kind of storytelling that we have today. Absolutely. So you're 100% right. My actual number one ended up being Coco, mm-hmm. just because if we're talking about that avenue of storytelling, that is the pinnacle of it. It's the best Pixar movie I've ever seen. It's one of the best animated movies I've ever seen. I would put it up as either one or two. Absolutely amazing movie. One other thing I did want to kind of talk about, just for fun, just, you know, at the end of the day, we're hosting this. 
but I, I think it's just fun for people to know a little bit more about us. This whole movie is about like what kind of music or what kind of art kind of touches your soul. So what is one song and one movie that speaks to your soul? All right, so I don't know if this is because I just recently listened to it uh, while I was in my drunken state at two in the morning uh, on uh, on New Year's Eve slash the first of January. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a song, it's November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Nice. I feel like every time I listen to that song, A, I want to sing along with it. And it just kind of, yeah, it hits like, like it's, it's rock and roll, it's orchestra, it's an anthem. It's like a seven or eight minute song. And so, yeah, that, that song really speaks to my soul. And it's also from a very particular time in the early 90s that I remember, that's very fondly, uh, that I remember very fondly. Okay. Um, for me, my song I chose was I'll Be Your Mirror by Velvet Underground. I don't know if you've heard that, but it's just a beautiful song. It actually fits really well with this movie as well. It's the idea of almost like a reflection and attachment and all that kind of stuff. Beautiful song. It was actually uh, on like my Spotify 2020 recap list. It ended up being my number one song I listened to for the whole year. Uh, what is your movie that spoke to your soul? All right, so I think this is going to be very obvious, but this is my answer for most questions like this. Can I guess it? You can guess is it. Is it Terminator? It's Terminator 2. 2, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, Terminator 2 drops in 1991. I think I watch it a year later mm-hmm. and so I think I'm like 9, 10 years old at that time listen you're 9, 10 years old you're thinking I'm John Connor <laughs> I'm, I'm a kid and I've got my own Terminator here but listen it, it speaks uh, to me about family dynamics and family values right mm-hmm. so you got the, the mother figure Sarah Connor the father figure which is the Arnold Terminator and you got this kid and yeah I think, I think it's pretty cool to think about family dynamics in such a hardcore sci-fi futuristic <laughs> type of setting that is a Terminator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that really speaks to your sensibilities as a fan as yeah. well. Uh, for me, it's Dazed and Confused, which is like the greatest slice of life movie ever. It's the last day of school. I've talked about this with you so many times how much I love this movie and we're definitely going to cover it one day. So yeah, that's mine. Uh, any other conclusions that you had from Soul that you just want to kind of want to go over as well? Um, the other the conclusion I would probably add is very different in terms of my upbringing in the UK. Like this, the the setting of America and jazz music, New York City, that isn't something that most people from England, you know, are exposed to in terms of growing up. So in terms of a slice of Americana, this definitely kind of hits that mark for me as well. My biggest thing is that I love that kids get this movie. I wish I could have got this movie when I was a kid. Like, I have five nieces and nephews, and it's only a matter of time before they start asking these big questions. And I'm glad that they finally have something to watch like this because, you know, stories shouldn't always be about product placement or demographics and all that kind of stuff. This is just a story that's talking about so much more than that. Mm. Uh, Who is your best character? Oh, it's easily Joe. And the funny thing about the character of Joe for me is I didn't know who voiced the other characters until I read the IMDb list. Me too. I had a hard time figuring out who was the voice actors. And I didn't see the trailer for this movie, but I was aware that this was a Jamie Foxx movie, mm-hmm. just from like social media and what have you. And I thought he did a fantastic job. And again, very different. Like I feel like his performance, just lending his voice in the character of Joe was spot on for me. Uh, so I really enjoyed that character. I actually had a hard time choosing between Joe and 22. And I ended up going with 22 only because I felt like... Like, the character's so vulnerable, and we basically get to see them experience life for basically the first time. So it feels like you're experiencing all of that with 22. It is an honor having you prepare 22 for Earth. I'm going to make you wish you never died. Most people wish that, 22. Also, as an honorable mention, I, we mentioned this before, but Moonwind, just an incredible character. I loved that psychedelic dude. Uh, what's the best line of the movie? 
I think we had the same one. So uh, a little fun fact, the last line where they asked Joe how you're going to spend your life, the line was going to be, I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. But they changed it to, I'm not sure, but I do know I'm going to live every moment of it. Yep. Because they decided it's impossible to kind of enjoy every single one. That is the best line of the movie. Yeah. And I, I remember almost jotting it down as we rewatched it before we start to record this show. And mm -hmm. it was like, yo, we're going to have the same line anyway. But I will say this much. There is another line um, that I thought was pretty cool. 22 says to Joe, don't worry, they're fine. You can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. Yeah, <laughs> it's so like... It's almost one of those lines that like hits you, but it's funny because it's true, but it's also like, oh my God, it's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the best scene in the movie for you? Okay, so for me, there's two that really stand out, so I'm just going to share both, of, you, both sure. of them with you. The first is just the opening. Before the actual credits hit, I thought is a fantastic setup just of showing where Joe is in his life, what he has, you know, in the palm of his hand, and then boom, he drops dead, bang. And there's the opening credits. I think that's a fantastic setup, but also um, the one that I thought was the scene that had the most emotional weight for me personally was when Joe starts to reflect and reminisce on moments of his life at the end of the movie. And it's uh, to the score of the piano theme, which is just beautiful. For me, it's easily when he goes in to get a fade, right? Obviously, this is something that's very much associated with black culture, the idea of a barbershop and the lineup, it's something that's a small event, but anyone who takes part in their appearance can relate to that, right? Uh, secondly, anybody who gets fades can relate to needing a fade to feel fresh, right? Like, there's just something about feeling a hundred times more confident for whatever you're about to do, whether it be an audition, uh, an interview, a party, a date, whatever it is, once you have that fade, you feel like a million bucks. This is the guy in the back. He can fix this. Talk about having a spark. This guy was born to be a barber. Now more so than ever, with the lockdown and people not being able to get access to their regular barbershop, it's like you're doing a home job. It's 100%. Like <laughs> Dude, I'm the scruffiest I've ever been, right? In this year, in 2020, I've gotten... Sorry, last year, I got two haircuts. That's crazy. It was very hard. <laughs> uh, how could you make a sequel for this movie? Well, I mean, the obvious one is, is where, where does Joe go next? What does he do next? And what happens to 22? That's the easy, low-hanging fruit. Do they make a sequel, though? That's, the, that's an interesting question, because I feel like if this is a, a hit, which appears as though it, it is a hit, do they go back to the well? Does it harm the first one if they just kind of you know, hit that cash cow and try to like you know produce a sequel for the sake of producing a sequel? Mm -hmm. Um, I hope they don't. I hope they don't make a sequel. But if you are going to make a sequel, it's a, f a fairly easy one. It is, where does Joe go next? What does he do? And what happens at 22? Yeah, I think if they did, and I, I really hope they don't, actually, I completely agree. If they did, I think they should focus on 22. But I, they've already touched on Afterlife with Coco. Now they've touched on The Great Before with Soul. I'd love to almost see them kind of complete this trilogy with a third movie that's either set in Southeast or East Asia where they explore like those Eastern philosophies more and the idea of like reincarnation would be fun for Pixar to kind of explore. I thought that would be like a kind of fun little avenue for them to go into. And uh, two last things we always get into, let's get wrecked. What's one movie that you recommend that's similar to this one that you think the audience would enjoy? So this was easy, Ghost. Um, this is a movie from 1990. It actually was one of the most successful movies of the year. Mm -hmm. 
Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze, Patrick Swayze dies, he becomes a ghost and with the help of Whoopi Goldberg uh, comes back to save his love before he kind of wanders off into uh, into heaven essentially and um, not a, an apples for apples comparison to what we see in Soul but I think it's in the same realm and it's a really good movie. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's a great movie to choose. I chose Spirited Away. This is Studio Ghibli's masterpiece. It won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. It's an unbelievably beautiful made movie. Uh, if you think about Soul, you almost left wanting more from your animated movies. You want to feel something special. You want to be asking these kind of questions after the fact. Spirited Away really touches on themes like greed, like overcoming obstacles, like regret. All while transporting you to one of the most visually stunning movie scenes I've ever seen in my life. Also, it's the perfect introduction into Studio Ghibli, which is like the best rabbit hole you can really go down at one point in your life. And now the last segment, out of five stars, how many stars do you give this movie and why? Zero being the worst movie you've ever seen and five being one of the best movies you've ever seen. This is getting a four stars for me. Okay. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I don't know quite what... Um, is holding me back from giving it a 4.5 or a 5. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there are definitely elements to the movie that are predictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like there's elements of the movie that I've seen before elsewhere. But I also have to say, and I'm going back to a point I made earlier on, not as extreme as the horror genre, but Pixar and CGI animation at this point in my life isn't exactly a genre that I'm kind of really going out of my way to watch. But from what I saw in Soul, Fantastic movie, really, really good. And also, I really want to make sure that when I do give a 4.5 or a 5 star, we're talking about one of the greatest movies of, of my lifetime, the greatest movies ever made. This doesn't hit that mark quite for me, but it's it's really, really freaking good. For me, I was kind of battling between going 4.25 or 4.5. And, mm-hmm. and my thing, I ended up going with 4.5. I think it's a 4.5 star movie. Primarily because it's such an ambitious effort And I think it should be rewarded for that, right? Because they could have gone a situation where they really told a really easy, simple story, but they went out of their way to tell something that was so much deeper, something that required so much more effort and that required more of the audience. And I think I wanted to give it much more of a rating. And that's why I give it four and a half stars. And that's the episode for the week. Soul, what an incredible movie. We finally got into it. Uh, Joe, where can everybody find us? All right, we are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find us on Spotify and also Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you can do us a solid favor, rate, review us. It really goes a long way in helping us get found on that particular platform. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Take care.